Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1. I know this has come before winter Sunday, but we're going to use Romans for our text today, but I will get to come before winter toward the end. So when you find Romans chapter 1, join me in standing this morning. We're going to be reading verses 13, really through 17. I put 16 in here, but I, I can't miss 17. It's great verse, great verse. So we're going to read Romans 1, 13 through 17 for our text today. This is the word of the living God. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, this morning, uh, because of my surgery, some of you may not know this, but about three weeks ago I had to have emergency eye surgery, had a detached retina, and uh, I had this sermon planned for the week before Dr. Foley preached, uh, and I would have been through preaching ancient words uh, a week earlier, but because I could not preach the last sermon in ancient words because of my surgery, we had to put it in the place where this sermon would have gone, and so what I've done is I've taken a little bit of that sermon and a little bit of Come Before Winter and put it together. Now, y'all, you know that leftovers are always better than they were the first time. I, you know, I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving because as good as the food is on the table the first time, it's even better when you get it and you pile it up on that plate on Friday and put it in the microwave and put plenty of uh, uh, gravy on your dressing and put plenty of cranberry sauce on it and uh, all those things. It's just so much better. Well, this is not really leftovers. What it is is this is kind of like a... a, a smorgasbord. I took some of one and some of another and put it together. So we're going to get to come before winter. But uh, Paul said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. And I, this is basically the message similar to the message I preached to the convention. And the title of it is The Debts We Never Can Pay. Now I know some of you English majors are doing backflips and you're saying that's not the right way to say that. You should say the debts we can never pay. And I know that's grammatically correct. But I want to take a little poetic license. You say, well, you're not a poet. No, but I'm going to read a poem to you in a minute. So I'm going to take a little poetic license since I am going to read a poem and, and use it this way because I want to emphasize that word never. The debts we never can pay. In this passage in Romans, Paul says three great I ams. Uh, notice he says that I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. And then notice verse 15, I am ready to preach the gospel to you. And then verse 16, I am not ashamed. I think those are three great I am's of Paul. One of these days I'm going to develop a sermon series called the I am's of Paul. I preach to you on the I am's of Jesus, but one day the Lord tarries his coming and uh, my mind stays good. I want to preach a series of messages on the I am's of Paul. Paul said so many wonderful I am's. Uh, and Paul was a gospel preacher. In fact, uh, the gospel is referred to seven times in the first 16 verses 
of Romans. He's a gospel preacher. Now, the word gospel is not used that much, but referring to the gospel is used seven, seven times in the first 16 verses of Romans. But uh, the debt that Paul is referring to is the debt he owes to the Greeks and to the barbarians. But Reverend Charles Hoffaker said this, Christ suffers unjustly, but what he does is set us free from debts we can never pay. And so Paul, the militant missionary apostle, knew about debts. He told the Roman church, I am debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians. The word translated debtor is the Greek word ophilites and means one held by some obligation, bound by some duty, and it is extremely personal in nature. Paul says, I owe a debt, and as followers of Christ, we all owe a debt, not just a debt, but debts. These debts are personal, and each must pay these debts continually until God calls us home or Christ calls us to meet him. Now, I know about debt. Uh, in June of 1971, I was debt-free. June 25th, 1971, uh, I went to First Baptist Church Center Point. I parked my car in the parking lot. Our bags were in the trunk for our honeymoon. And I went into the sanctuary of uh, First Baptist Center Point on a Friday evening. I went in a single man and came out a married man. And I want you to know, I still was not in debt. And my wife and I went for a week to the Smokies on our honeymoon. And in my billfold, in my billfold that day, I had $500. Now I'm talking about 1971 money. I mean, that was real money back then. I mean, that was some money. I had $500. You say, what are you bragging about being so rich for? I'm just going to tell you what happened to it. We went on our honeymoon for about a week, and I mean, we had to pay cash to stay in hotels. We had to pay cash for our meals. We didn't have a credit card. We had to pay uh, cash for our rooms, had to pay cash for gas, bought souvenirs like you have to when you go to the Smokies, have to buy souvenirs, bring everybody back a souvenir. And we got back from that trip, and I still had over $250 of that 500 And not long after that, Mary and I went down to New Orleans, moved in Willingham Manor, set up housekeeping on the campus of New Orleans Seminary, and it didn't take very long for that $250 to vanish. Now, I stand up here today to honestly testify to you that since I got married in 1971, sometime in that fall, there's never been a time in my life when I had even $50 in my billfold that I didn't owe somebody something. I've owed for cars, I've owed for houses, but thanks to the Lord and Dave Ramsey, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know about debt. This church knows about debt. When I came here in 1979, this church was still in debt for the first building that they had built since the 1940s. And the first debt we paid off was the debt on a three-story brick building that Brother Ronnie Euler led the church to build. And then in the early 1980s, we built a three-story building that had a gym in it. And we were more in debt than we'd ever been, and we paid that off. And then we bought the property up here, and we paid it off. And so three times in my ministry, I have known the wonderful aroma of burning mortgage in the sanctuary. That is the sweetest smell I know of uh, in a church, the, the aroma of that burning mortgage. And we have a debt now, and we're paying on the debt. And uh, uh, we have not missed a payment, even with all the problems with the economy. And so we know about debts, but I'm talking about another kind of debt. I'm talking about the kind of debt Paul is talking about. And I think, first of all, we owe a debt to the Lord. And I choose to 
to explain that to you by using an old gospel song that a man named Arthur Smith wrote. Arthur Smith was kind of a country and western singer. In fact, if you look his name up on Wikipedia, you'll find he's called Arthur Guitar Boogie Smith. And I thought, he has to be spiritual. Anybody whose name is Arthur Guitar Boogie Smith has to be a spiritual giant. But he wrote a song years ago, a gospel song called I've, I've Been With Jesus. And I remember going down to the old Boutwell Auditorium and hearing the Statesman Quartet and the, and the Blackwoods Quartet sing that song. Uh, nobody's, I don't even think Bill Gaither sings this song anymore. Uh, but the chorus of that song says three things, and it talks about the debt we owe to the Lord. The first part says, in love he sought me. I like that. In love he sought me. Uh, Luke 19.10 says, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I want you to know, he didn't just come seeking, he came seeking in love. The Bible tells us all the way through that God is love. In fact, John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world. And one of my favorite passages is in Mark, and a young man came to see Jesus and knelt down at his feet and asked him a question that I wish everybody in Pelham was asking, but they're not. He asked Jesus, good master, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus straightened his theology out. And he said, there's no one good but one, that's God. He said, you know the commandments, name some of the commandments. The young man said, master, all these I've observed from my youth. And then the Bible says something very interesting. It says, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Now, I want to tell you that today. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter what's in your past. It does not matter how crooked you may have been. It does not matter how mean you may have been. It does not matter how sinful you may have been. When Jesus looks at you as he looked at that young man's face, he looks at you with eyes of love. In love, he sought me. I'm so thankful when I go to witness to people, I don't go in there and say, well, you better get saved because God doesn't love you. No, I say God loves you and God wants to save you. He loves the world and everyone in the world. And whosoever will may be saved. In love he sought me. But then the second part of that, with blood he bought me. You see, a price was paid, and that's the debt we owe the Lord. A price was paid, and that price was his own perfect holy blood. Now, we have a bloody Bible, whether you like it or not. And some people don't like it. Some people say, oh, I don't like that old slaughterhouse religion. Well, I want to tell you this. If it doesn't have the blood in it, it's not the gospel. When you take the blood out of the gospel, you lose the gospel. The good news is that God loved us enough to send his son. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The blood is in the Old Testament in Genesis when Abraham carried Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah and built an altar and put wood on it and then had Isaac get on top of the wood and he took that old sacrificial knife out and Isaac said, hey, Father, we've forgotten the sacrifice. And Abraham looked at Isaac and said, God will provide the sacrifice. By the way, in reading the Bible through this year, if you've read carefully, you'll find that that was the first time in God's word where the word love was ever used. It wasn't used about Abraham and Sarah, but it was used about Abraham and Isaac because God said to Abraham, take thine son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest and sacrifice him. You say, oh, what kind of a God would demand a human sacrifice? You didn't read the end of the story. Because while Isaac was on that 
altar. While that wood was under him to consume his dead body, while Abraham lifted that sacrificial knife, an angel of the Lord said, Stop, do the lad no harm. Look, God has provided a sacrifice. And over in the brambles was a ram caught by his horn, and that ram's blood sufficed for Isaac on that altar. Later on, the Hebrews were in bondage. Moses had said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, I won't do it. Sometimes Pharaoh hardened his heart. Sometimes God hardened his heart. You say, explain that. I can't do it. I can't do it. God didn't give me that big of rain. God didn't tell us. God just says, I'm sovereign. And he said, I gave Pharaoh a chance, and he said no, and then I wouldn't let him, I wouldn't let him say yes. But that last plague was the death angel. And there was a remedy for the death angel. And that remedy was the blood of a lamb without spot or blemish, sprinkled on the doorpost of the house. You say, preacher, do you believe that happened? I believe that night in Egypt when that death angel descended down on Egypt, wherever he saw the blood, he turned away, and where he did not see the blood, there was death in that house. When I see the blood, and when Jesus died on Calvary, he shed his blood for you and for me. Now, I'm going to tell you, Paula, I'm going to cast my vote. I like that new version of just as I am. And I'm pretty traditional. I mean, I'm preaching out of the King James Bible. I'm not standing up here with spiky hair and a sweater and sitting on a stool preaching this morning. Now, if your preacher sits on a stool and has spiky hair and wears a sweater, God bless him. But that, I don't know, I might spike my hair sometime. I might just do that, what little of it's left. But I want to tell you this. When some people get so modern that they take the blood out of the Bible, they take salvation out. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. In love he sought me. With blood he bought me. And then I love this. I've been with Jesus and I'm whole. I'm not standing up here today telling you I'm whole because I'm a good person. I'm not telling you I'm whole because I went to Sanford University. I'm not telling you I'm whole because I'm married to a wonderful woman. I'm not, you know why I'm whole? I'm whole because I knelt as a sinner in a cornfield in Walker County, Alabama, and cried to the Lord, and God saved me. He washed my sins in the blood of his son. He filled me with his Holy Spirit. He put a new heart in this old body, and now I'm a new person because I've been with Jesus, and I'm whole. And the good news is you can be with Jesus and get whole too. There's no hopeless case with Jesus. We owe a debt to the Lord. Secondly, we owe a debt to our leaders. Now, I talked about our, our, and I want to talk about my personal leaders. I owe a debt to people. You go down in my office, you'll see two pictures of my pastor, Brother Ralph Field, looking at my desk and looking at me. I'm reminded of the people I owe a debt. I owe a debt to my mom and daddy, you parents that dedicated these children today. I hope someday that child will stand up in a place like this and say, I owe a debt to my mom and daddy because they carried me to church. They taught me to love the Bible. And they saw to it that I was taught in Sunday school and Bible school. And they saw to it that I was raised on the Word of God. I can say that about my mom and daddy. I owe a debt to my in-laws. Outside of the gift of salvation, my father and mother-in-law gave me the most precious gift anybody's ever given. 
when Harry Johnston walked Mary Ellen Johnston down the aisle of First Baptist Church Center Point on June 25th, 1971, he gave her to me. And I'll never be able to repay him and Ellen, he and his wife, for that debt. Oh, what a debt I owe to my mother and father, to my mother and father-in-law. Oh, what a debt I owe to my pastors. Brother Ralph Field, Brother John Oakes, and Brother Frank Bowman were my pastors. They early in my life taught me about Jesus. What a debt I owe to other preachers who've mentored me. What a debt I owe to John Bob Riddle. What a debt I owe to Adrian Rogers. What a debt I owe to people like Hudson Baggett and men who invested their lives in my life. I will never be able to repay that. What a debt I owe to people like Willie Mae Dennis. Many of you knew Miss Willie Mae at this church. What a debt I owe to people like Myrtle Cummins. What a debt, what a debt I owe to, to, to people like Brother Joe Hodges. When I stand in this pulpit many times, I think, we would not be here today had it not been for Brother Joe Hodges and his wisdom and his leadership. We owe a debt to our past leaders, but we owe a debt to our present leaders. We've got some great present leaders. I'm excited about the future of our church. I'm excited about our staff. I think we have the best staff we've ever had. And that would be a good place to say amen. amen. I'm going to say it again. I believe we've got the best staff we've ever had. I really mean that. Now, if you, if you don't feel that way, you come and talk to me about it, and I'll convince you you're wrong and I'm right. But uh, we meet together, we pray. We don't always see eye to eye, you know. Uh, sometimes we have to shut the door when we have discussions because we don't want people three blocks away hearing them. But, uh, uh, but I, I wish you could see the staff, and especially on projects like the worship experience at Christmas. Every staff member is doing something different uh, for us to have a worship experience. Uh, but I think we've got the best staff we've ever had, and we owe a debt to our Sunday school leaders. I, I thank God for the Sunday school leaders, Brother Don. I thank God for every Sunday school teacher. I pray for them. I want to tell you, when our Sunday school is strong, our church is strong. And I think we got some great Sunday school teachers. We got some great classes. I love it when people tell me, Brother Mike, I, I was at your church for a funeral. Uh, and, and, and the family that I was visiting for that funeral told me how much their Sunday school class had ministered to them. Folks, that doesn't just happen by accident. It happens because people dedicate themselves to the Lord. We owe a debt to our present leaders, and we owe a debt to our future leaders. I'm talking about some of them that were here today, these little babies. And others of them have just been elected to serve on our deacon body. I wish every member of this church could have been at the deacon ordination councils that we had. We had to have two of them because we had to have so many deacons that had to be ordained. And I don't know that I have ever been in a deacon ordination council. I know I've never been in one where I was any more impressed with the caliber and the spirituality of the young men that we ordained as deacons. I'm excited about our future, and we owe a debt to these future leaders. But I must move on. We owe a debt to the lost and to the least. When Paul said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, he was talking about all of society. You know, you might say, well, Paul could have looked at society as, as Gentiles and Jews. And, and he did look at it that way somewhat, but he doesn't use those terms here. He said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. And then he lets us know exactly to whom he's speaking when he says both to the wise and to the unwise. You see, the Greeks were considered the wise. They were the scholars. They were the ones who were uh, socially eloquent. And the barbarians were the ones that didn't have any social graces. Uh, this is almost a form of Hebrew parallel, parallelism. I owe debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the unwise. 
And when God looks at this world, he doesn't see Jew or Gentile or Greek or barbarian. When God looks at this world, he looks and he sees either sinner or saint. Because if you're not saved, you're a sinner. And if you're saved, you are a saint. You may not live like it all the time, but the Holy Spirit will deal with you about that, I guarantee you, if you're really saved. And if you're not living like a saint and you think you're saved, you better check your salvation. You don't want to end up at the end of life and hear Jesus say, Ah, you just thought you were right. You just thought you were saved. I never knew. You say, Was that liable to happen? You go read the book of Matthew. It happens. But there are only two kinds of people in the world of Paul, Greeks, barbarians, wise, unwise. We owe a debt, first of all, to the lost. Every person that's lost needs to hear Jesus Christ. That's why we share the gospel with our waiters when we go out to eat. We, we ask if we can pray for them, and then if the door opens, we share the gospel with them. We need to share the gospel every way we can. But then I'm, I'm going to hasten to say this. We also owe a debt to the least. Jesus, shortly before he was crucified, said there would come a day when people would stand before him and it would be sheep and goats. And he said the sheep would go on the right side and the goats would go on the left side and the sheep would go into heaven and the goats would go into hell. And they said, why, why, why? Why are you sending us to hell? He said, because you did not do it unto the least of these, my brethren. You don't hear much about that anymore, do you? You really don't. You really don't. Now, that, I, and, and let me say this. I know there are some people who abuse the good-heartedness of the church. We've had people who've come by here, and all they do is they just make a living praying on the church. I'm not saying we should do that, but I am saying this. There are people who need help genuinely. They are the least. And Jesus said if, you, if they're naked and you don't clothe them, if they're thirsty and you don't give them a drink, if they're hungry and you don't feed them, if they're in prison and you don't visit them, then you've not done it unto me. You say, well, preacher, what are you saying about helping people? Listen, don't give people money when they ask you for money. That may be the worst thing you can do. If they're a drug addict or an alcoholic, all you've done is enable them. We never let, we never let anybody leave this church if, if they come here for help without groceries. In Jesus' name. We owe a debt to the lost and to the least. And I'm afraid our Southern Baptist Convention, not our Alabama Baptist Convention, but our Southern Baptist Convention is getting to the point where we're going to be doing so much church planting we're going to forget about the least. And I'm afraid we'll stand before Jesus in judgment. We in this church make a stand. We're going to pay the debt that we owe to the lost. We're going to win everybody we can. We're going to pay that debt to the least. We're going to minister to people. But then lastly, we owe a debt of thanks. This came from a book I was given while I was president. It was a book of essays in honor of Dr. Thomas Quartz. And when I preached this in Montgomery, I had a PowerPoint or Dr. Quartz's desk. I had to give a disclaimer. I said, that is not my desk because it was very clean. And I told them, I said, if you come in my office, there's a sign on the door. Enter at your own risk. Hopefully, now that I'm not present, I will get to work on that desk some. But Dr. Court's desk was very organized. But these were words that he had written, and I thought the, these words sum up my sentiments exactly. When the last check is written, the loan remaining bill is paid, every IOU is canceled, payment on counts is stayed, when the parting farewell is uttered, the ending stands is sung. Benedictions ended, tolling bells have rung. I will still will debtor be throughout eternity. 
Not all the gold in banks fulfills my debt of thanks. I owe a debt of thanks to you. As your pastor, you have loved me and encouraged me and enabled me to serve as president of our convention. I owe a debt to our staff. They have picked up and done a lot of the work when I was not here, when I was attending to convention matters. I owe a debt of thanks, and I always will. I will die owing that debt of thanks. But I wanted you to hear me say, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done. Now to the part of Come Before Winter, and I'm done. Dr. Clarence McCartney preached a message called Come Before Winter. In that message, he stressed, it comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul told Timothy, if you ever want to see me again, you better come before winter. And here's the gist of come before winter. There are things some of you need to do that you've been putting off. You need to do it now. Some of you are doing things that are going to wreck your marriage. Now's the time to stop doing the things that will wreck your marriage and start doing the things that will build your marriage. Some of you are doing things that you know God doesn't want you to do. Now's the time to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stop today. There was a young man who heard Dr. McCartney preach that message. He was a student. He went back to his room. He needed to study for a test, but that message come before winter kept ringing in his ears. He sat down at his desk. He wrote a letter to his mother, his widowed mother back in the Midwest, who was putting him through school. He didn't even wait until Monday to mail the letter. He went down Sunday afternoon, mailed the letter. He didn't think anything about it until later that week when a telegram came from his hometown, and it was his pastor, and it said, your mother's gravely ill. If you ever want to see her, come quickly. This was in the old days. He went and boarded a train downtown, went to the Midwest. When he got there, his pastor met him at the station with a horse and buggy, drove him to their little home on the outskirts of town. When he got out of that horse and buggy, everything was as he had left it, the little fence around the house, and everything just neat and in order. He walked in the house. It was strangely silent. He went back to his mother's bedroom, and there on her bed was his mother, wasted away, face white, hair white against the pillow, obviously breathing her last breaths. He knelt down and took her hand, and she was too weak to even speak, but she smiled at him, and she acknowledged his presence. And just a few minutes after he arrived, she sighed, and then she didn't take another breath. And the old doctor standing there took out his stethoscope and leaned over and put his stethoscope on the boy's mother's chest and shook his head. And as he started to cover her lifeless body up with a sheet, he reached up under her pillow and pulled out something, and it was a letter that young man had written. And that doctor handed him that letter. He said, Son, every time I came over here to see your mother, this letter was better medicine than anything I had in my bag. And he said toward the end, she got to where her eyesight was failing, and she would hold that letter right against her face. And he said she was reading those kind words about how much you loved her and how much you appreciated her and how much she meant to you and how you thanked her for being a Christian mother. And he said that letter did more good for your mother than anything I could have ever done. They did her funeral. He went back to school. One day he called Dr. McCartney's secretary and said, I'd like to see Dr. McCartney. He went in Clarence McCartney's office, showed him the letter, and said, Dr. McCartney, whatever you do, always preach the message of come before winter. If you hadn't preached that message, I would not have written my mother this letter, and she may have died without knowing how much I loved her. The message of come before winter is this. The leaves remind us that wintertime is coming. They're so beautiful. 
but they're beautiful for only a moment. And then the rains come and they're washed away. And that's the way life is. We have opportunities to do things today that we won't have tomorrow. If there are things in your life that you're doing you should not be doing, stop doing them today. If there are things in your life you should be doing and you're not doing them, start doing them today. We'll never know this side of eternity whether or not Timothy came before winter. But you can make a decision today to do something that will change your life and maybe affect eternity for people you love before winter comes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for having the Apostle Paul reminding us of debts that we all owe. And thank you, Lord, for having the Apostle Paul reminding us that life is passing. That fall is a beautiful season, but it is a brief season, and winter is coming. Lord, I pray that this message would prick the heart of someone who's not doing something they should be doing. Maybe there's a, a, a relationship that needs to be mended. Maybe there's someone they need to share the gospel with. Lord, you know the hearts of every person here. And Lord, I pray that you would put it in their heart that whatever that is that they need to do or they need to stop doing, that the message of come before winter would ring true in their life and that this would be a day of immense importance because from this day on, they're going to be different. Lord, we can never repay all the debts we owe. But Father, we know that we owe you a debt of gratitude and love that no human tongue or human service could ever repay. But Father, take the worship of our hearts and the desire of our lives to serve you and let them be a blessing and use us for your kingdom service. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing.